Hello and welcome to Savior. My name is Rand. I will, I will be your guide through the Word today. Uh, if you're here for the first time, it is probably because of the fact that we are baptizing several of our members. Um, this is going to be the first time that we are baptizing at our church because we've, we're still in our first year of existence. Um, our mission and our goal is that everyone who's part of this body would know the Savior and would be the community. Right? To know the Savior and to be the community, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another. Right? And part of accomplishing that mission is not just to teach the Word uh, and not just to pray, but to, to baptize and to fellowship and to, uh, to have a collective identity under the name of Jesus. So uh, I want to show you Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus specifically talks about this in his Great Commission. Uh, and just look up on the board for it. It says, Jesus came to the disciples and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you notice right there in verse 19, it says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To baptize is part of the mission. Baptizing is, uh, is part of what we do. And to be clear, it is a purely symbolic act. I want you to know that, right? Uh, baptism is the way that Jesus wants us to express and observe that we indeed repent of our sins and trust in him as Lord and Savior. It is a symbolic act. It's a, it's a physical uh, gesture or expression of what is spiritually true of you. It is not that by getting baptized, you receive some spiritual uh, salvation or, or blessing or benefit. That's not it. You have already been saved by the blood of Jesus. That's what saves you. And you express that in baptism symbolically by physically acting that out. It's a, an act where you, uh, w- w- you get fully immersed because the word baptizo is, means to submerge or to immerse. It means to dunk, not sprinkle. It means to dunk. Right? So the, the act of, of baptism is uh, a, a visual display of someone dying and being buried and cleansed and raised to newness of life. That was the idea that it had in the first century, and that's exactly how we replicate it today, by immersion, um, since uh, that's what baptizo means. Uh, notice what Jesus says about being baptized, though. We're to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, technically... Doing something in the name of someone else really just means to do something on behalf of someone else. What that means is that uh, whoever is baptizing, by baptizing someone in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, is doing that on behalf of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, meaning uh, I, you know, the, the person that's doing the baptism is representing, is just standing in the place of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's really what, uh, the idea that's, that's coming at you. But... There is something grammatically peculiar about what's going on in in that little phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's it's the idea of the singularity there, the the, the singularness. Baptizing them in the name, the one name. Now, it doesn't say baptizing them in the names of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, which in the Greek would be grammatically appropriate. To use the plural of names because, because then the antecedent refers to Father and Son and Holy Spirit. But uh, to say the one name, to baptize in, them in the one name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that refers to, uh, to God who, who 
eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? That's the, that's the way that, uh, that God has indicated to us that there's one name given among those three distinct persons. But baptizing in their name means not, uh, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit means not just on their behalf, but we should know the name of God. We should know the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We should know what name we are baptizing in. It's more than just the word God. See, we say that, you know, I believe in God, I love God, I worship God, and, and we use the word God as though that's his name. There's not anything particularly wrong with that. It is just that that is not the actual name that he's given for his people to remember for all generations. If we get technical, God isn't a name. God is a title. God is a type of being. It's a, it's a category. It's like a species. You know, he's a human being. That's a, a dog, that's a butterfly, that's a god. And you can, you can point to a pantheon of, of the Greek gods and say each of those are gods or goddesses. Uh, a god is a type of being. It's a, it's a category of, uh, of, of a person, you know, the type of person that someone is. So when the Bible says god, uh, it'll use the word theos because it was written in Greek. Now, Jesus didn't uh, speak in Greek as his regular language. Neither did the people that he was around. He was in Israel. They're walking around just speaking Aramaic in that, in, in that century. They spoke Aramaic, but then Greek was the, the lingua franca of the time. That was the, that was the popular language. Like English is kind of the language of the world today. Uh, Greek was the language of the world back then. They spoke Aramaic among one another, but then when they spoke to, to all the other nations, all the other Gentiles, then they spoke in Greek. And so uh, people in Israel were fluent in both. They spoke Aramaic and they spoke Greek. And Jews didn't all even speak Hebrew. They, didn't, they spoke Aramaic more naturally. Um, and Hebrew was, was uh, kind of fading out at that time. Well, the reason why that's important is because the Bible is written to Gentiles, right? The, the, the Bible is written largely to, uh, to people who are not of Jewish faith. And so it'll use the word theos, God. Because if they said, you know, uh, in verses like John 3.16, in the beginning, God, I'm uh, oh, sorry, that's Genesis 1.1. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, I'll get it right, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. If they said for Yahweh so loved the world, they used the proper name of God, uh, they, they would have lost their audience. Their audience would have been, who's that? But they used the word for theos. So loved the world. That's the, the word that they used because that was, the, that was the term that everyone said, oh, they're speaking about a God. Who is this God? And then uh, that being there right in John 3.16, the rest of the book of John will, uh, will labor fervently to prove to you that Jesus is that theos. Jesus is God. Jesus is div- divinity in flesh. Well, the term theos is ambiguous, just like the term God is ambiguous. It, uh, it, it just means, if you, if you go with the Greek dictionary, it means a god or a goddess, a general name of deities or divinities. So it's not a specific name. God is not a specific name. It's a, it, it's a category. Even in English, uh, the, the English dictionary says um, that uh, the definition of God is any of various beings conceived of as supernatural, immortal, and having special powers. So you don't even have to really be immortal or have special powers. You just have to be conceived of being that way. Ninety-something percent of Americans say that they believe in God. That's still a current statistic. 
over 90% of America says that they believe in God. And I think you and I agree that not everybody has the same notion of God in mind. What God do you believe? What is he like? What does it mean to even believe in him? Does it mean to just mildly suspect and intellectually agree that he exists? Or does it mean to place your faith and hope and trust in him? You have as many gods in America as there are people who say that they believe in a God. There, there are all sorts of varieties. People say, uh, that's, that's not the God I, I believe in. You know, my God is not like that. There, there will be ways to, to say that, like, oh, I, I understand what you think God is, but to me, God is, and they'll fill it in with a different description. Most people, when they think of God, just take what they think of themselves and then make it bigger. Right? That's, that's the easy way to, to try to formulate a God. We're intelligent, so God is really intelligent. Uh, someone says, I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I'm an activist. I'm a vegan. Whatever. God must be that too. God agrees with me. It's a generic God. It's, a, it's a, the God of America. It could be anything. You know, cosmic grandpa, uh, divine judge, an emotional pillow, an emergency parachute. Uh, the regard for God is... is uh, is various. Depending on who you talk to, you get a different answer. And we'll call that God because that's the title we use for something that's out there that's divine. It's just this, this generic term. But wouldn't you agree that there's a big difference between someone calling you by a title and someone calling you by your name? See, if uh, someone comes up to you and says, hey, mister, or hey, miss, or hey, missus, right? If they, if they just come up to you with a title like that, Excuse me, mister. That's a title. But then when someone comes up and calls you by your name, that's a different story. Right? There's, a, uh, there's, there's an intimacy that comes with, uh, with using someone's name. There's a relationship there. Titles, not so much. Titles indicate a, t- a type of relationship, but it is distant and it is transactional. But a name says there's intimacy, that there's a dynamic and, uh, and fluid relationship taking place between two people. I have many titles. Uh, pastor, father. Husband, citizen, taxpayer, etc. You can, you know, and there are many titles that you can give to a person. But those who love me don't call me by my titles. They call me by my name. And I think that's the same for you too. That when you get close to someone, you want them to call you by your name. God has lots of titles, but God also has a name. And it is fine that we understand him as God and Lord and Savior, and we have lots of titles for him that is true, that is good, but we ought also to know his name. Exodus 3 is when he reveals it. Moses encounters a burning bush. Uh, the bush is burning, but it's not burning up. It, uh, it just seems to appear as though a burning bush. But Moses goes over there, and God calls to him and says, Moses, you're going to be my chosen instrument to lead my people to freedom. They kind of argue back and forth on whether or not Moses is actually going to do it. But then God kind of says, well, I'm God. You're going to do it. And then in verse 13, here's how Moses uh, responds back to God. Here's one of the, his, uh, ob- not objections, but kind of the, one of the, the things that he's nervous about, right? He says, uh, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? That's a legitimate question, you see, because the reason this question was asked was because in that day, Israel was in slavery to Egypt, and uh, in Egypt, the religion was, uh, was polytheistic. 
Lots of gods, lots of different gods, lots of uh, different little gods who oversaw different parts of nature, like uh, a god of the soil, a god of fertility, a god of the mountains, a god of the, uh, the ocean, a god of the sun, a god of the moon, a god of life, a god of death, a god of the forest, a god of fertility, etc. You have all these different little gods. If you wanted to get pregnant, you'd pray to the god of fertility. Uh, if, you, if you wanted a, a good harvest, you'd, you'd pray for the, the god of rain. or the, Lots of different ways to, to go about this. And the important part was to know that they all had names. Each of these different gods had names, and the names helped you kind of understand how they operate and how to approach them. Take, for instance, a god that was named Goat Eater. If you wanted to give an offering to Goat Eater, it was very easy to know what to offer him. I have a feeling he wants a goat, right? It, that wasn't, it wasn't a mystery. His name kind of gave him away. If, if you heard like, uh, that, that someone was God of the ocean, if you knew that about this person, then when you're out in, in the mainland, like inland, you know, you're not really thinking about that God in, at, at all. Their names kind of gave away their jurisdiction. It, 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 told, it told you how to approach them, what to think about them, what to fear about them, and then when to feel safe around them. It, it told you a lot about it. gave a description. It made them very controllable and containable and reducible and pocketable. You know that, oh, we've got these different little gods. I'll go to this one when I have this issue. I'll go to this one when I have this problem. I'll go to this one when I have a question about this subject. And so it was normal for Moses to say, okay, I, you want me to go and set your people free. I'm going to go to your people and say, your God has sent me to you. It's been 400 years where we've been in slavery to Egypt. And uh, all of a sudden, the God of the Hebrews and the God of Israel has showed up, told me to come to you, and I'm going to set you all free. They're not going to believe me. And they're going to ask, well, what's his name? Is he the God of freedom? The God of liberation? Is he the God of war? The God of, uh, of revolution? You know, what kind of God is he? What, like, how do we know he can do this? So it was a legitimate question that the people would have asked. And so Moses anticipates it. He says, they're going to ask. They're going to ask what you're about. They're going to ask, what's your, what's your shtick? What's your, what's your gimmick? You know, what's your, what's your power? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that... That clears it right up, doesn't it? Ah, it all makes sense now. Um, you know, Israel is going to ask who you are. What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. And he leaves it like that. It's just, he just leaves it like that. It's not, that's an extremely unhelpful answer. If he said, I'm the God of war, then Moses could have told the people of Israel, and then they would have been like, okay, let's follow the God of war, and we're going to fight against Egypt. But God doesn't say it. He just says, I am. I exist. I'm real. I am who I am. God's answer is, uh, is this, this oddly intentional answer in response to all these other little pretender gods. In, in, in response to all the different statues that have been made and the charms and the religions that have been formed and stuff, God says, cut through it all and mark me out as, as the God who actually is. I am who I am. 
It's kind of a slam against the entire religious system of Egypt, the polytheism of the, of the entire world, the false religion of the whole world. And God doesn't even bother to give some cosmological argument for his existence. He doesn't bother to sit there and try to prove to you apologetically that he exists. He just says, I am, and you have to deal with this. I am. Implicit in his name are two things. The first, the fact that he gave his name. That means that that's an invitation to relationship, isn't it? See, I, I go to my son's school and someone comes up and says, Mr. Cho, and it's good to meet you. And I say, no, no my name is Rand. And I, I'm inviting them into, a, in, into a, a better relationship, not one that's just transactional, but one where we can just regard one another as friends. When God gives you his name, he's inviting you into relationship. He gives his name, not his title. He doesn't say they should talk to me and call me God. He says they should talk to me and, and here's my name, I am. I am who I am. So that's the first thing that you get with this name. The, the first implication is that it invites you into a relationship. The second implication is just this great mystery and vastness about him. God does not locate him down to a single thing. He's not just the God of the forest. He's not just the God of war. He's not just the God of fertility. He says, I am. And he says that in response to all these other different little pretender gods. And he says, those are not. If you want to know about what's divine, there's only one God. I am. And it's a a statement that says that not only does he exist and he's real, but then at that point, if, if all the other little pretender gods are not real, then who's the only one worthy to be worshipped? Who's the only one uh, worthy to, to be revered? It would be the one and only God. God says, I am, and I'm worthy of worship. Whether or not you get me, you have to deal with this simply because I am real. I'm here. I am. He says in the rest of verse 14, uh, God said to uh, uh, God said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You go ahead, Moses. You go and you talk to them. They're going to say, well, what's his name? And you tell them, I am has sent me to you. That's what you should say to them. And so God uses his name, I am. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, God is going to give two versions of his name, by the way. The first version, he says, I am who I am, or to shorten it, it's just I am, right? I am has sent me to you. Ehyeh. I am. Ehyeh. He says, that, that's my name, right? But then he, he's going to change it around a little bit. And, uh, and in verse 15, he, uh, he gives a very clear way for the people to then say God's name. It says it in verse, uh, verse 15. God also said to Moses, Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters, if you notice that. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So he's, he's used a, a different name here, and it's just represented by the Lord in capital letters, L-O-R-D. Now, the first name he gave was I am, Echyeh, right? Echyeh, that's the, the first name he, ga- he gave, I am. And that's like the, the word that, uh, that will uh, become this, this way that you're not really supposed to use that kind of language, 
when you're, when you're a Jew. They would say that the name of God is so holy, you can't say it. And so when Jesus would walk around in his day, he would invoke that name all the time. He would say it in Greek, or he, it's written in Greek, ego emi, and he would say, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am. He'll say, I am. And he'll uh, invoke that in ways that, uh, that uh, break the, the understanding of reality. He says, before Abraham was, your, your ancestors thousands of years ago, before Abraham was, I am. And you'll say, I'm eternal. Before your ancestor was, I already exist and still am. I am. And you'll invoke that name. But the second name that he's given is a whole different story. See, it's not a he, it's not I am. He says, uh, say, to, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, L-O-R-D, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And the word he uses there is not a he, he uses a different word. It's he is. He puts it in the third person. So he says, I am who I am. Now you tell the people that he is has sent me to you. And so when we refer to God, we don't claim to be God. We don't say like, you know, I worship, I am. And you don't, you don't bring it back to yourself. You say, I worship, he is. I worship, he is. And that name is, uh, is represented by four Hebrew consonants. Y-H-W-H, Yod-Heh-Wah-Eh. Y-H-W-H. And that, uh, our best reconstruction, because you know what's crazy is they didn't have vowels in their alphabet. They just wrote consonants. Try that out. Write out Genesis 1 with just the consonants. Oh, and they didn't have spaces between the words either. Try that and then read it. Right? So they would have context clues on how to pronounce things and stuff. And so our best reconstruction of how to pronounce Y-H-W-H is Yahweh. It's Yahweh. You know, like we have little context clues in, in our language too. Like immediately following the letter Q, you always have you, right? So they're like little things like that. You know, so, uh, in Hebrew, you'd have different consonants that would follow different vowels and stuff like that. So Y-H-W-H, the best reconstruction, most likely is Yahweh. But here's the thing. They didn't want to say that. They didn't even want to say He is. They're like, that's the, that's the name of God. You can't say He is. You can't, you can't do that. And so they'd say, okay, okay forget, forget it. We'll, we'll keep the consonants because He gave us the consonants, but we'll insert different vowel sounds so that we don't actually end up saying his name. We're not worthy to say his name. So we'll kind of use a different, different nickname kind of a thing, a, a different stand-in. And so they'd take the word Lord, Adonai, and they would take those vowels from Adonai, uh, the, those vowel sounds, and pronounce them when they see Y-H-W-H. So they got Yehoah. Yehoah, which when, when you turn into America, it turns into Jehovah, right? That's the way that, that we ended up pronouncing it. Uh, that's, that's not it, right? Yehoah is, is the way that, that, uh, that they would say it. And, and they'd say, okay, so they'd look at that, they'd say Yehoah, because it uses the vowel sounds of Adonai, but they're still reading those consonants of Yahweh. Which is why the Bible translators, when they, when they write uh, every time that it says Yahweh with the Y-H-W-H, they'll put the L-O-R-D in capital letters because Adonai meant Lord in Hebrew. So they're just kind of trying to respect that tradition. I guess here's my, uh, my very small gripe about it. Verse 15. Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, 
The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is how God wants his name to be remembered. And these days, people don't know that's his name. And churches feel weird talking about his name or using his name or saying his name. That should be the name that comes off our lips in in the songs of praise. That should be the name that we exalt in worship and we lost it and we replaced it with titles. God says, this is my name. This is how I want to be remembered forever. And immediately we covered that name up with something else. God gave Moses his name. He says, I invite you to a relationship with me. Here's my name. I am, and you will, the, everyone should call me He is. They call me Yahweh. They should call me that because I invite them into, into that dynamic, fluid, loving relationship where they can now approach me in that way. And at the same time, they should know that I'm not, I'm not just the, the forgiver, and I'm, I'm not just a judge, and I'm not just a creator. I am. And there's this bigness and this vastness and this mystery to Him. And we ought to know both. And the more we explore the name of God, the more it should bring us to this understanding that he's just bigger than we can figure out. We got this idea that, oh, I believe in Jesus, and so I just, I, you know, I don't need to go to church. I, I, I feel like I, I'm good at the gospel. And we feel like, oh, I've got it all. It, it fits in my pocket. We have this way of thinking that God is small. I, got, I, I know it now. So I don't, I don't need to, to commit to a local body. I don't need to worship. I don't need to do that stuff. It's good if you do that. It, 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 you know, it, it's, it's good for your feelings and things, and it gives you a sense of purpose, maybe. And we, we have these weird ways of just saying that God isn't necessary. Like, he's small. He's just like, he's, he's, he's like one of your general education classes, but then you, you go on to the bigger stuff in life. The word Yahweh, the name of God, comes up 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And it was a name of great mystery. Look at some of these verses up on the board that I'm going to show you to see that the, the, the people of God, when they wrote about him and wrote his name, they knew there was something awesome and powerful and majestic behind him. Look at uh, Isaiah 40, verse 13. It says, Who has measured the spirit of Yahweh? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Right? Just talking about God like that. Who who taught God what's right and wrong? Are we going to do that? Are we going to tell God that our culture, because it it, it thinks a certain way, we're going to tell God what's right and wrong? Who's going to do that? Who's going to counsel the Lord? Who's going to go to Yahweh and say, this is how things should be? The nations are like a drop in a bucket. Isaiah 43, verse 10. It says, you are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am. It doesn't say I am he. It just says understand that I am. Before me, no God was formed nor shall there be any after me. I, 
I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and I am God. Right? He puts it plainly before us that there's only one God. His name is Yahweh. There is no other God. There is no other Savior. Apart from Him, there is no other. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, Neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now this little tour here was just to give you a small glimpse of the Jewish understanding of who God is, of who Yahweh is. It's a relationship, yes. You could know him. You could, you could connect with him. You could reach out and, 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 uh, and have a relationship with him. But you could not figure him out. He was relatable, but he was not containable. He was close, but he was not small. He's not simply a bigger version of ourselves. There's this, this otherness like this mysteriousness, this vastness about him that sets him apart from us. This thing that makes us go, there is no one like him. It's not we are all little versions of him. It is not that. There is none other like him. I don't know if you relate to me on this, but uh, when I read like the Old Testament, especially when I was younger, I'd read the Old Testament without knowing it well. Uh, I didn't like God in the Old Testament. Do you know what I'm talking about? He was cranky. Right? He, didn't, he didn't play by my rules. He didn't seem fair or good. Uh, you read the Old Testament God. If you bring your friend to church and you're reading through like, you know, Judges, Joshua, you know, when you're just reading stuff like that, uh, you kind of want to apologize a little bit. Like, you're like, oh, that was Old Testament God. You know, it's, it, it, that was like back then. New Testament God is cool. Old Testament God, you know, he was like, he just shrugged. Uh, sorry, you know. Like God's different now. He's grown up a little bit. You know, back then he was mean. Now he's nice. You know, he was like, oh, he was judged before. Now he's like, oh, I forgive you. And you, you try to apologize for stuff like that. And maybe we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't say it that way. But if you're just being honest, there's a little bit of a discomfort. You read the Old Testament and it's talking about like, you know, genocide. And you're like, uh, it's not the God I know, you know. Uh, my God wants to reach all the nations, make disciples. That's what you want to say, you know? We want a God who's understandable. We want a God who's manageable. We want a God who's formulaic. We don't want a God that actually has his own opinions and makes his own decisions and stuff. We don't want a God whose uh, who's, who's thoughts outweigh ours and whose opinions are more important than ours, whose decisions overrule ours. We don't want that. We want a God that's, that just agrees to us. We make gods that just agree with us, our bigger versions of ourselves. We want to say like, stuff like, if I go to church, God has to bless me. Well, I've, been going to church. I've been giving offering. I've been singing the songs. I've been listening to the sermons for years. Why is God not giving me the life I want? How could God let something bad happen to me? We start to talk about God like he's, he's, that, he's that much of a, a little pocketable blessing machine, a genie in a lamp. He has to bless me. You know, if, if I stay pure up until I get married, my marriage has to be awesome. It has to be awesome all the time. 
If I pray for my kids, they have to turn out healthy and capable and well-behaved. If I obey, I shouldn't have to suffer. Like that's the stuff that we, we have these assumptions about. That's the God we want. We want this God where like, if I did this, you have to do this. And we want this transaction relationship. We want a God. We don't want Yahweh. We don't want someone who's bigger and more vast and more mysterious and, and higher than our ways. It's easy to try to make God formulaic and manageable. You just, you, know, you just say a prayer and believe and then you're good. You're forgiven. You can just live your life. You're good. We try to do that formula. If you do the formula, he'll do what you want. You did the thing, he'll do a thing. Everyone's happy. And you try to make him that much of an equation. Does that sound like Yahweh to you? Does that sound like the God of mystery, the God who's bigger than what we can conceive? Does that sound like a God worthy to be worshipped at all? When someone is that predictable, is there anything awesome or beautiful about him or her? It just sounds like another cheap offer. For far too long now, the church has been trying to remove the mystery and the paradox of God to make him pocketable, to make him easy, to make him, you know, quaint and tame. But God says the opposite. God talks about himself as mystery, saying his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And, and he invites you into that. He, he, he is fully aware that he's leaving you with the cryptic name, I am. And he says, yeah, that it doesn't tell you much. It tells you that, that there's a whole lot more to learn and you're never really done learning. And he invites you into that mystery and that paradox and, and he just lets you know you can simply rest in him knowing that you will never be able to figure him out because he is not smaller than your mind. He will always be bigger than what you can understand because what he has created is bigger than what you can understand. What he's done is is the work of his hands. And this is like mind-blowing to us. Right? The stuff that we have today, I don't understand how my cell phone works. I don't know how that works. Somebody touched this thing here and something beeps over there and someone else got a message. How does that? I don't know how that works. I don't know how my microwave works. I put this thing in there and I push some buttons and 30 seconds later, it's hot. Or for some reason, if I left the foil on, there's fire everywhere. <laughs> I don't understand how it works. It's just arbitrary. You put it in, it's fine. If there's foil, it's fire. I don't get any of that stuff. I don't understand the process of, of how something got conceived and, 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 and grows in the womb and then is born and then turns into you. Like I've never, the best science project I've done is baking soda and vinegar. That's all I understand. God's like, look, do you, under, do you realize how little you know? You've, you've figured some stuff out. Maybe you know a little bit about engineering or you know a little bit about programming or a little bit about technology. Fine, but do you think you understand who stores up the, the lightning bolts in the clouds, right? Who tells the, uh, the oceans and the waves where to go and no further? Who established the laws of all the different particles that make up all the different things that we see in the universe. Do you understand like he understands? 
Do you think you have them so figured out? It's easy for church to try to make them so, so pocket-sized and so easy. You wonder why, you, uh, why God at times just makes you scratch your head and say, like, well, why is God acting like this? You read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because he, he's, he's God. He's not, he's not you. He's not a bigger version of you. He's God. And the name of God is, is that, that invitation to know that, that you're welcome to be with him and to be, to be you know, close to him and to, to in a, be in a loving relationship with him. But you also need to know that he's bigger and more vast and more mysterious than you could have imagined. And you go like, well, I see the name Yahweh, L-O-R-D, capital letters, all the time in the Old Testament. And then it just disappears when we get to the New Testament. We never see Yahweh in the New Testament. What happened? And people have problems with that. They, you know, they say, why is it that if Yahweh is such a big deal, why don't we have it in the New Testament? We don't need it then as, uh, as Christians because that's like a Jewish thing. And I, I would beg to differ and I would say that, uh, that the, the assertion to say that the name Yahweh is not in the New Testament is not even an accurate statement. I want to show you a, a verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It's the last verse we'll look at. Speaking about uh, the Virgin Mary, this is what's said of her. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, we, we read this verse, and it says, you shall call his name Jesus. That's not the name that was spoken. They spoke Aramaic. They said, you shall give him the name. You shall call his name Yahshua. Yahshua. And then in America, we're like, that means Jesus, right? Yahshua. There's something there. It's, it's a, a, a compound of Yah, which comes from Yahweh, and Shua, which means saves. You shall call his name Yahweh saves, for he, this son that's going to be born, will save his people from their sins. If Yahweh saves and this son that's going to be born is the one who saves, then this son who's going to be born is Yahweh. And his name says it to you. His name is Jesus. And every time you say the name Jesus, it's a declaration, not just of the name Yahweh, but it's the declaration that Yahweh saves. It's not just that God is, but that God is and God saves. Every time you say the name Jesus, it should evoke worship. Anyone who, who speaks the name Jesus speaks the name Yahweh. Anyone who curses the name Jesus curses the name Yahweh. Just, you know, we don't just believe in a God. It's not that we believe in a God, with, you know, who's just out there, just like many of the other gods, a little pretender God. It's not that. We don't just believe in a God. We believe in the one true God, the one and only God. There is no other like him, and his name is Yahweh. We know Yahweh, we believe in Yahweh, we worship Yahweh because Yahweh saves, because Jesus. We baptize in his name. We baptize because he is and he saves. We baptize because it's the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everyone who's baptized is baptized in His name, meaning they are immersed 
into a relationship with him and submerged in an eternity of exploring his vastness and his majesty forever and ever. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray. Father, what can we say? Our prayer right now is that you would train our hearts to stand in awe of you. To come close because you invite us close. And yet to be amazed because you are so much bigger than our expectations. So much bigger than our assumptions. So much bigger than our understanding. Far be it from us, Lord, to think that our theology contains you. We want to know everything we can about you, and so we explore. But we'll never be done. And so, God, we pray that we would just train our hearts to stand amazed. That we would not worship a little pretender God that's just a bigger version of ourselves. But that we would worship (coughs) Yahweh. There is only one God. His name is Yahweh, for he is We worship Jesus for Yahweh saved. Today, Lord, as we baptize people and as we celebrate the proclamation of faith, may your name be remembered and honored. May we remember that you are. May we remember that you save. And may that be displayed in the symbolic act as people demonstrate their death and burial and resurrection to newness of life in Jesus Christ. All this we pray for his glory and his name. Amen.